Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Yo, cervezas, poor favor. That's about all the Spanish I know. Handy, though, since we're talking about Mexican lagers today. Uh, it's Is it all just Corona or Modelo? Maybe there's something more here. And while we're in the neighborhood, we figured we'd also talk about Dia de los Muertos, which I'm being told means Day of the Dead. Hey, I'm learning already. So, pour something cold, sit back, while we have a drink. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. Hey, guys. Hey, hey everybody. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Long time no talk. Uh, what uh, What's everyone been up to? Uh, not, not a whole lot for me. I feel like Casey's got some adventures, though. <laughs> well, uh went a uh, work trip this past week and was able to go to the land of the north. Maine? Um, Canadia. Oh. Uh, so went up to work and was able to get a few things that you can't get here in the states. Casey, that's that's it's illegal. Yeah, well, some of it maybe, um, <laughs> depending on your <laughs> depending on your state. But oh yeah, yeah. Well, I guess not. No, not that. Although I have been seeing a lot of uh, uh, Reddit posts about the free weed bins in <laughs> the airport in Toronto, uh, and we passed by them. It was, it was interesting. Are they are they free weed or are they just? Ditch your weed before you get in trouble, Benz. Well, let's just put it this way. The airport had to come out and write a press release saying these aren't free weed bins because people <laughs> have been taking, uh, <laughs> trying to take weed from the bins that had been discarded. But uh, was able to get the forbidden egg. So the Kinder eggs, illegal in the U.S. What? That was... What? Well, like well, the, the fertilized real, eggs? What's the the, the real What's deal it? ones are legal here. They give us some horrid knockoff thing that's terrible. Yeah, so the, nope, these still, are the, the real ones. Still drawing yeah. a blank. Don't, what, what, what are we talking about? Yeah, so Kinder Eggs, they're, I guess they're German to begin with. Kind of this chocolate, white chocolate on the inside and uh, like a milk chocolate on the outside. And a it's kind of a, a like you would get a an egg in a shell form similar to how you get a shell bunny at Christmas. But these eggs have toys in the middle, which makes them illegal in the States. Yeah, yep. because uh, they think we're too stupid and we'll, we'll just eat the small toys. I mean, <laughs> look, let's not talk about how many, how many Happy Meals I had to pass uncomfortably. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then one other. You didn't want me to eat it. You don't put it in the bag of fries. Yeah, I mean that's how it goes, right? <laughs> uh, and then one other used to be illegal, I guess, not illegal anymore. Thing um, 
I was able to find some Cuban rum and brought that back. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, Havana Club, I think, um, a seven-year-old rum. So was able to bring that back through customs, and, and they didn't say anything about it. So I'm guessing it's legal. So, well, no, that's uh, even for tax reasons, I should have caught you with it. But uh, well, I, all I said was I brought back two two bottles of liquor. That's all they they really cared about. That and and four bars of green tea Kit Kats. Oh, those are oh. so good. Yeah, <laughs> you can get those what? at Jungle Gyms. Why did, why were you ruin Kit Kats? I know, right? What about uh, well, you were in uh, you were in the Great North and didn't get any uh, poutine. Oh. The best poutine. So we had it at a couple different places, but the best poutine that I had was really at Burger King, oddly enough. <laughs> what? At poutine a rest King. Stop. Um, not even a full burger. Yeah. King, like a- no. No. Yeah. <laughs> this this Burger King was over. You had your Tim Hortons. And by the way, I walk up to a burger Tim Hortons. <laughs> I walk up to the Tim Hortons and ask for donut holes. And they say, you're not from around here, are you? And I'm like, really? That that gave it away? Apparently They're they called bits. them Timbits. Yeah. Yeah. Timbits. Uh, so, yeah. Donut holes. <laughs> I want to be snarky with Tim Hortons, but it was funny when they decided to come to Cincinnati and they opened, like, almost ten Tim Hortons around Cincinnati. And they were open for maybe a year and a half, and then they closed them all overnight. They didn't talk. Really? They didn't let the managers, anybody know. And, like, suddenly. Managers came up one day and their keys didn't work. Well, managers came in. I guess the managers probably got a call that morning and were like, yeah, no, uh, we're, we're closing all the stores. You just go tape a piece of paper. It says everybody's fired. Don't bother coming in. Jesus. That was like that was all it was. There were just pieces of paper on all the doors that said, this location is closed uh, and will not reopen. That's, uh, that doesn't seem very polite. I expected more from Canada. <laughs> so what made the Burger King poutine that good? It had a like most of the gravies were the gravies that I went to. One place was like a chicken place, and so the gravy was like you would expect KFC gravy to be mm-hmm. um, that that sort of chicken gravy type thing. Their gravy was made specifically. I mean, Burger King has no other reason to have gravy on the menu, yeah, other than poutine. So it was a poutine made with very special gravy, and it had a Worcestershire or Worcestershire, Worcestershire. sauce. Um, flavor to it, which was really good. Kind of a mm-hmm. meaty, almost A1 Tabasco combo type sauce mm. flavor. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just trying to think of what Dairy Queen's poutine would look like up there. <laughs> White they chicken. Just, yeah, they just, they just cover like, sausage gravy. No, they've on got the... gravy. What are you talking about? That's what I'm saying. They use the breakfast gravy, the, the sausage gravy on the... Well, no, they've got the um, the other gravy they put in the chicken strip baskets. Yeah. That's it's like same breakfast gravy, gravy without the, the gravy. sausage in it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So I'm just picturing that, just like, all right, let's just put this over there, throw some. So I don't know, no, I'm getting an idea there too. So Dairy Queen, all you got to do is get a chicken strip basket, and then you're just dumping that gravy on your fries. You just need some cheese curds. I don't know. Do mm-hmm. they do uh, fried fried cheese? I don't think they I do. I think they do actually. Now I, I think they may have like little cheese, you know, fried cheese bites or something. If they don't, someone nearby, one near me, has that. Has that. I well, could I know, make this. I know A&W does fried cheese curds. Hmm. So yeah. you could go get an order of those and mix it in and dump that gravy on it. Boom! You've got... <laughs> A&W, Freddy's, and Culver's all do fried cheese curds. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing it. We're, we're going to make this Frankenstein poutine monster of American... Frankenstein? <laughs> Frankenstein. I was going to say Frankenstein. Frankenstein. 
Well, before that one trails off anymore, uh, I was also traveling for work. Uh, only I was in the far off mystical land of Mount Sterling, Kentucky. Oh. With such dining options as Arby's and Applebee's. Yeah. Uh, Let me just say, uh, a week of eating Applebee's does not good things to your body. Even if you're trying no, to eat I... decent from the menu, you're like, oh, I'm going to have the salmon and the, the grilled chicken and the the green vegetables. and No, it just it does horrid, horrid things <laughs> to the human body. Take, I'll take the grilled chicken. Why is this battered? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. At the end of the week, I was like, oh, it would have been better eating Arby's every night. But I'm lazy. I'm Arby's. I'm lazy, no and they ever. have yeah, they have the curbside to go at Applebee's. So it takes another yeah. step where you would have to speak to a human being out. Yes. You just get on the app yes. and you order, and you just pull up, and then you put in the make and model of your car. They just walk out and hand you a bag, and then that's it. It's like a drug deal. That's how I used to have to get pizza back home because they wouldn't deliver to us. We had to go out into a mutually agreed, <laughs> you know, borderline. They'd come up with the pizza. Yeah, you, know, you, you could see, you know, the car. You had to flash your lights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, after I did make it back home, uh, we went went uh, to pick up a few things, and I think Brittany made a mistake, and she was like, "I'll stay in the car, or are you going to Party Source?" Because I was going in to ask about CBS, which, depending on when you're hearing this, uh, November second is the release nationally. So everyone, you know, go ask your liquor stores or your favorite bottle shop. If they're going to do anything for CVS on Friday. But uh, while I was going in to ask about that, uh, always walk through bourbon because you just never know what's going to, you know, yeah. you never know what you can find on the shelf. And uh, sure enough, it paid off. And I was strolling down. And when I got to the section with all the Heaven Hill products, I noticed a shelf that usually sits empty was full of uh, Henry McKenna 10 year. Oh. Yeah, and the price, uh, to my surprise, is not up that much. It's at uh, thirty three dollars and change. But it's definitely it's had still, to grab a bottle. Yeah, which made me feel better because I've still got half a bottle. But now I can comfortably drink that half bottle, knowing it's, there's another one to back it up without without fear of what happens to the exactly. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, beyond that, we do have some announcements. Uh, our next episode is going to be live Saturday, November 3rd, 9 p.m. Eastern, and we will be talking about Flying Dog Brewery. Ah, yes. that uh, I've really enjoyed a lot of stuff with Flying Dog. i got to say the... Yeah. Well, I think I was the only one that liked the Pepper Pack, but... The no, heat... no, no. I was just the only one who didn't like it. No. <laughs> but the Heat Pack, I think we all agreed, was amazing back when we used to do the video shows. That was yeah. Oh, the, delicious. the first one, yeah. Yeah, that had the like Chipotle stout. Well, and a lot of their, even like, well, of course, they're, they're the ones who have Pearl Necklace. Oh, yeah, that was um, the first oyster stout we'd ever had. And then, uh, yeah, they just, they just have, a, they have more good beers than bad, I would think. Or, I would say. Yes. Um, I... Oh, excuse me. <laughs> uh, next up, we actually have a uh, an update from the movie draft. Woo! <laughs> Welcome to your Movie Draft Minute presented by DiamondClub.tv for the week of October 22nd, 2018. I'm your host, Big Voice Jay. Pro tip, only trust people who like big butts, for they cannot lie. 
Hashtag Let's go to the scoreboard. <laughs> Team Game Night is in last place, still waiting for their first film. Team Vod Squad's in fifth place with $32.6 million. Team Movie Barney's in fourth place with $49.9 million. But there's a new entry in the nine-figure club. Team Have a Drink has a strong debut from Halloween in third place with $104.7 million. Team Drunk Kids Gaming is in second place with $179.3 million. And in first place, it's Team Ritual Misery with $207.9 million. That's your movie draft minute all told as a regular as of October 27, 2018. All right. Everyone laughed at me. They laughed <laughs> at me for saying we really needed to get Halloween. Granted, we may have overpaid for it, but in the end, look at, I mean, we ended up having to burn money on a movie we didn't even want in the end. So, Which I think is just going to help us like float to the, the next good movie. <laughs> Just keep us keep us in the game. Yeah, that's really but, what but, we're, we're banking on here. Yeah, but Halloween's making making some pretty solid money. Plus, it's the the only ha- only horror movie in town this this Halloween. For, for Halloween, it's the only horror movie in theaters. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's going to play <laughs> big for us. And it had the second largest uh, October opening in history. And the only other movie to outdo it was It, uh, mm-hmm. which came out last year. So it, doing it. strong. It. It what? Stephen King's. <laughs> We're not doing the who's on second bit here. First. I don't I don't know. So I, I'm looking at so what Ritual Misery has since they're in first right now. Um, they've got the, A Star they is Born. the lead. <laughs> yes, yeah. indeed. Well, because they've got A Star is Born, which I, I, I know a lot of people have seen. Like that, That's making have, money. And they have Night School. Night School. Night School. <laughs> Night School. Um, and then, so they're already in first, and I don't know how Mortal Engines is going to do, but they also have Ralph Breaks the Internet, so that, I'm like, oh. Oh, I forgot they ended up with Ralph Breaks the Internet. I, I kept trying to remember yeah. who, who so had that one. I watched the draft, and we, like, not to fault you, you were in that, you were fighting that one, driving that price up with every dollar we had, but they wanted it more than we had money left. Yeah. yeah. So, they're, they've got a... a they're going to be really hard to contend. Oh with. yeah, because they're they're they've brought in a huge pot of money right now, and they're still going to make another huge pot of money with Ralph. Now, Drunk Kids Gaming was in second, I believe. Yeah, they have Venom. That's why, because Venom yeah. has outperformed everyone. I thought that movie was going to not make dollar one. Well, it was going to make dollar one, but it was it's still been panned by critics. Everyone's like, eh, it's it's a movie, I guess, but everyone's still going out in droves <laughs> to see it. It's a series of images, one after another, in rapid succession <laughs> to make you believe there's motion. But <laughs> yeah, as it was explained to me, Venom, uh, the fight scenes are great, but any time Eddie Brock tries to speak, you just want to punch him in the face. But, like the fight scenes are amazing. <laughs> that has made 187 million. Yeah, that's insane. But uh, I'm still happy with Halloween. I think it'll still go on. We'll get three good weeks out of it, and then it'll trail off. So we're yeah. just over uh, 100 million with it right now. 126. 126. So that'll keep. That's not it, bad. I'm, by the time it's done in the box office, we may get close to 200. May that's after another three or four weeks. I tried. I will say I tried when we were getting movies to get a lot of stuff early, so we just had time to keep keep movies going. Yeah. And try to get even even a few thousand here and there, but. So, uh, 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Was it not next weekend, but the weekend after that, when both two more of our movies come out at the same time? Two different audiences. <laughs> yeah, but still. But, by the way, early buzz I'm hearing for about Nutcracker. Uh, not Nutcracker. Uh, I can tell that one wasn't going to be good. But uh, buzz I've been hearing about Bohemian Rhapsody apparently oh. not good. Yeah, that's. Uh. I could have told you that as soon as uh, <laughs> they got rid of Sasha Baron Cohen. That was years ago. Or yeah, he dropped out when they were because he wanted an accurate portrayal of Freddie Mercury, and they said nope. We want our uh, dream world version of him, where he is the best man who ever lived, and we don't want the the true account. <laughs> yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, is there any early buzz on the on the Grinch? Do we know anything about? Uh, there's they're ramping up the advertising for it. They're going big on social media. They're trying to make memes. That's going to be a rough seeing, go. Yeah, because I remember seeing one of them from from the trailer of like. My animals went, you know, and me in bed, and it's all of them trying to yeah. crawl into bed with the Grinch, and you're like, mm. and if, you'll find them occasionally on Twitter. Uh, they'll be promoted tweets from the yeah. Grinch account or on Instagram. Whatever like they that. need to do, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone go see the Grinch. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on from movies, I think we have another announcement here that everyone's familiar with, and you'll get sick of this by by the time it finally rolls around. But yeah. Drinktacular <laughs> is coming up Friday, February twenty second through Sunday, February twenty fourth, twenty nineteen, yeah! in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, join us for a weekend of brewery tours, brewery hopping, and bottle <gasps> shares. Oh, oh, oh! We're going from brewery to brewery. We're not. Yes. We're not doing hopping. No, we're not going to be going, we're putting we're, hops in beer. No, we're not going to be doing uh, the the hopping. Like physically, process. I don't think you'd be able to. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but it's it's going to be a great weekend. And if who if you want to come, just hey, you can fly in. Um, there's really cheap shuttles from the airport down. They're like a dollar or something. I think is what we saw. They're really cheap. You can get to downtown, but I uh, do suggest get your Airbnbs or your B&Bs or your hotel room, oh. whatever. Are you a Hyatt member? Whatever. Just, get you uh, all them Bs. Yeah. Uh, get your rooms downtown. You want to be uh, completely downtown where all the breweries are. That's where we'll be. That's where all the action will be for that weekend. And don't worry if you're like, hey, I have a family. I can't really uh, have them down at all these breweries all the time. Guess what? Uh, you've got the Biltmore Estate right there. There's all kinds of fun things down around in Ashland for families to do, and not to mention you're literally on the other side of the Great Smoky Mountains. Hmm. So some of those some of those breweries, kid friendly. Sierra Nevada got a little playground, little sand pits. They got a sand pit that locks in, so you can just drop the kids in there. And <laughs> no, not exactly, <laughs> but so most most breweries are smart enough to cater to families these days. Like. I'm just saying the grounds of, of Sierra Nevada are pretty great, mm. just in general. So That's going to be a good time. And if you're a home brewer, uh, we plan on, I don't know, it may end up morphing into a homebrew competition because I know we do have a few uh, home brewers who are going to come be coming down and <laughs> uh, we're at least going to have a homebrew share where everyone can share some of their uh, homemade stuff. Iron brew! Iron brew! <laughs> oh, that would be a good one. We may have to try and try and record an iron brew. Uh, details to follow and you can check out on the website uh, we do have a little section that's going to be populating very soon uh, with all the information alright well uh, I think we have <coughs> some news uh, I, I yeah, couldn't let upstage the uh... 
I think I can burp better than that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so your news for this week. Uh, so so Brewdog, they keep they keep laying it thick on us. All of our dreams coming true thanks to Brewdog. So they're like, hey, you guys have heard about all of our legendary beers over in the states. Well, we're going to build a brewery over there. Guess where? Columbus, Ohio, like just up the road from us. It's like awesome, sweet. And then to follow that up, they go, hey, guess what? We're going to build the world's first uh, first brew hotel. And there's going to be taps in your room, or you can stay in the brewer's suite with curated bottle fridges that are stocked, personally selected bottles by uh, the head brewers of BrewDog. Get that, uh, get that, that uh, hot tub brew machine. Do, do they do the hot tub beer there? I think they, I think they do. Uh, yeah, I remember they... when we first talked about it, like some of their suites have the, oh, the hot yeah. tub beer, and I went, nope, <laughs> <laughs> nope. No beer goes goes past the butthole. <laughs> well, uh, they they weren't going to lay down and uh, just stop there. No, no, no. Uh, Brewdog introducing the first ever craft beer airline so you can get drunk while you cross the Atlantic. Uh, great news for all you beer drinkers out there. In just a handful of months, independent craft brewer Brewdog is launching their very own airline. And yes, most definitely means uh, you can now spend your entire flight sampling creative drinks and eating awesome food. That sounds amazing because... Especially it's a seven-hour flight. Yeah, you say if you've ever crossed the Atlantic, yeah, it's like a seven- to eight-hour flight. It's it's not fun. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, the problem is, though, they have, like, drinking... Like, they have, like, laws now for being drunk on British airlines, or they're they're, they're shaping some of them up, so... Mm, yeah. You think I wonder Bre- how that plays out. You think Brewdog cares? No. Brewdog ain't care. <laughs> They're Scottish. No, they don't care what the English say. <laughs> we normally don't think of airlines as being, you know, enjoyable. Flying is usually just a necessary evil to get, uh, most efficiently, get from point A to point B, whether you just opt for whatever airline is cheapest or have your membership and allegiances to a certain, uh, certain company, you still have to deal with the long lines crying kiddos. Where even the most mediocre drink is exorbitantly priced. I usually while just I, pass them. While those. I agree with that, I will say I enjoy flying for spitting in the face of gravity. <laughs> I don't know if I would even consider flight drinks that expensive nowadays. Because once you land, they're more expensive at the airport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like the cheapest place to drink when you're traveling. <laughs> $7 for a shot? Okay. It's better than 14 at the airport. Yeah, airport bars are just highway robbery. Just 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 pre-game, just pre-game. Get yourself right to that point to where you're just tipsy enough to be able to get through security. You know, I I don't advocate for it, but TSA limits you to non-flammable liquids at room temperature, which would include most alcohols, <laughs> and one baggie full, nothing no container larger than 3 ounces. Which contains, which which would include all airline bottles. Ah, and as we saw, you can get some pretty good stuff in airline <laughs> bottles. What was that? So what you're what you're telling me, Casey, is I need to get an I need to get that sandwich baggie. Get those airline bottles. Pour them all into the sandwich baggie and just drink it while I'm in line. So yeah, we uh, our friend, good friend Jim, was sharing <laughs> pictures in the Discord of airline bottle. Airline bottles of uh, Weller. Oh. Hmm. Oh, yeah. That's, Wait, uh... non-flammable liquids, though. Those... So, 
the that means that basically anything above seventy percent alcohol wouldn't count. Okay. But that you could do like a normal fifty percent alcohol is n- technically considered non-flammable. Gotcha. Because you got to heat it up for it to flame. So I was like, wait, what? That's definitely not a real thing. <laughs> I can easily catch fire. Turns out. Um. <laughs> All right. You got to you got to do it as a, uh, a technically jet fuel. <laughs> would I think be considered non-flammable because it's got to be aerosolized before it will <laughs> it'll go. But yeah. All right. Well, Independent Craft Brewer Brewdog has two locations in Scotland and Columbus. Uh, so why not link them with a flight where you can sip tasty brews and make the whole cross-Atlantic journey slightly more bearable? Before you start planning your next vacation around taking a Brewdog flight, know uh, that this isn't a traditional airline. Right now, they're only offering one single round trip flight, uh, where the actual trip is the kind is kind of the focal point of your vacation. Hop mm-hmm. on the plane. I think it'd be funnier though if it was just a one way flight. You get to go yeah. to one or the other. <laughs> That's it. And then you're staying. They won't even let you get back on the plane. <laughs> Hop on the plane in London. So there's uh, no no hope for us uh, Americans yet. On yet. Uh, and pop over. No, no, Brittany. There's no hope for us Americans. <laughs> well, okay. As far as this goes, pop over to Columbus, uh, where you're signed up for a four night stay, tours of the Brewdog Brewery and Museum, and a visit to the Doghouse Hotel. Then pop on the plane and head back to England. So, how, how it, much people? How much do you think people are barking in the Doghouse Hotel? I'm sure it's kind of ridiculous at night. Like so that. Where are we going? To the doghouse? Oh, God. Just stop that him. Or they're he's, had playing, too, he's had too much. They're playing uh, Who Let the Dogs Out on loop 24-7. Murder me. Better than what's new, Pussycat. <laughs> well. I was going to say, if you're playing Who Let the Dogs Out 24-7, at that point, you're trying to, like, force a cult out of, uh, <laughs> out of, like, you're sieging a cult. Like, <laughs> Well, that sounds like your kind of deal. It's only being offered on February 21st to 25th, 2019. So during Drinktacular. If, I was going to uh, say, that those dates sound very familiar. Yeah, so if you'd like to book two extra flights across the Atlantic and <laughs> deal with that, then uh, you could miss Drinktacular and go take this once. Well, there's right now it might be once in a lifetime. They're, they're suspecting there'll be more. So wait, it, let me let me get this straight though. It's coming from from London, yes, to Columbus. This direction to Columbus and back to England. And they're going to be spending like four days in Columbus and then flying back, right? Yes, it mm-hmm. is completely like they have your time spent already. Right. Like you don't I wonder get to... if there's a way to just get on board with the activities that are being spent here and oh, not yeah. the flight itself. Probably, but I mean, you'd you be doing this so. for the flight. <laughs> We could go up and do any of the Brewdog stuff in Columbus anytime we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> but it's only open... But when do you get, to get drunk with a bunch of English people? <laughs> well, it's only it's open to Brewdog's community of 90,000 equity punks, which are basically a way to get people to invest in the future of ah. good beer by rewarding them for buying into the company. So, you know, crowdfunding. So don't get your hopes up too high just yet. Also, uh, joining uh, the equity punks is just the biggest ripoff on on the planet it's not about good the biggest ripoff but but they're like give us hundreds of dollars and we'll give you percentages off merch and if you visit our brewery it's like yeah. oh do i get anything else and there's like no <laughs> uh, choice choice rooms if you come stay at the doghouse 
Other than that, yeah. nothing. <laughs> so for the lucky chance folks... To, the chance to spend money on a flight. Yeah. For the lucky folks who will be able to secure a seat aboard the bespoke Boeing 767, they're looking at booking a booking fee of around $1,600 for Lord. what is essentially planned uh, to be a super cool beer experience. Boozy drinks and food are included, and BrewDog is promising limited edition brews for this flight only, along with a food and beer pairing menu and quality entertainment as you make the cross-continental trek. BrewDog's what, pro- what if what if they give you free taxidermied cozies with... Uh, <laughs> I, I doubt they'll be doing the... Uh, the what, what was that one called? The, um, the end of the world. Yeah, end the, the end world. of the world yeah. again. No, no, they don't make the beer. They just give you the the, the koozies. Oh, the koozies. Uh, That's what everyone wants. They've brewed the beer since then, but they just haven't put it in the taxidermied koozies. (laughs) Uh, BrewDog spokesperson Sarah Warman uh, has stated that while they're currently only offering one flight, the potential for more trips, even Columbus to London ones, could be a possibility. So, yeah, as soon as those pop up, eh, maybe we'll seriously consider that. But it is, uh, as they say, yeah, it's kind of a downer that uh, this isn't a regular airline just yet. I'm sure, mm. give it time. Yeah, but, but eventually, you know, baby steps, baby steps. Every one of them will get us there to the, the promised land. At this point, because, oh, we forgot to mention, BrewDog also brought us the first uh, craft beer uh, subscription television network. Oh yeah, they did. Because they, they brought three us... episodes of four sheets up now. Yeah, they they decided mm-hmm. three sheets. Everyone misses it. We're bringing it back, and it's one better. Four sheets. <laughs> Doesn't go with the old saying of how of being drunk, but uh... I'm pretty sure Zane's four sheets to the wind now. At this point, <laughs> all right. It's more alcohol than men now. <laughs> Tipsy and happy. I think the we... first the first episode where he licks a. Uh, it looks like poison off of off of this old lady in in the middle of the jungle. Oh god! Yeah, that, he, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's 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 intense. Like you can tell from the swell, swelling swelling in his face how bad it actually is. It's not faked at all, which oh, is gosh. interesting. Yeah. Oh dear. Good show. <laughs> Good show. Get to the hospital from the tents. <laughs> no, no. He so it all happens while he's there, but it's like a, a cleansing. Basically, it's it's you. It, I think it's like a poison dart frog or something like that. Oh, you know, like the you lick the poison off of these little dots, or no? They they put the dots on your skin. It's not licked. It's they burn a hole in your skin and then put the dot over it. Jesus. Yeah, and then it <laughs> it cleans you with poison. <laughs> it really is, and it like gives you vomiting like crazy. So. It, it's sort of like a a cleansing experience. I would imagine. Uh, you're getting everything out of there, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, vomiting is one way to get it out of your system. <laughs> <sighs> well, I think we've got some untapped. Get riggedy, riggedy, Something that won't make you vomit. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. we... <laughs> We've got a new badge for uh, for the release of Devil Back Devil's Backbones new look. It's too many S's in Devil's Backbones. <laughs> uh, anyway, after ten years of brewing, Devil's Backbone has decided it's about time to spruce things up a bit. They're still brewing the same delicious award-winning beer, but with a brand new look. And if you look, if it's the same packaging that's on the the cans and bottles and the the, the badge, 
it looks like it should be selling tea, especially with gold leaf being written on it. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, it definitely looks like, um, oh, crap, what kind of, I, I just look at that and I'm like, I know that, that logo. Gold Peak. Yeah. That's, that's what it makes me think of. Uh, anyway, their brand, uh, their new packaging truly grasps the essence of beer within, uh, the, the beer within, while being inspired by the Virginia Heartland. Who said a 10-year anniversary has to be made of tin? Well, if it's brewed by Anheuser-Busch. Yeah, it's uh, definitely going to be metallic, that's that's for sure. Uh, this is much better. Well, you can check into Devil's Backbone's new look by, uh, by unlocking two brand new badges. Uh, check into one Vienna Logger, and you'll earn a Devil's, Devil's Backbone Vienna Logger new look badge. It's a creative name. <laughs> and... Uh, if you check into one gold leaf logger, you'll be rewarded with the Devil's ba- Devil's Backbone Gold Leaf Logger New Look Badge. I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, both these badges are available between October 26th and November 26th, so you get a little under a month. Uh, so, you know, if you want to get this, be on the lookout, and be sure to check out their new cans and bottles. All right, well, they've been uh, a little short on the badges recently, but, I mean, the, the, that's not exactly up to them. <laughs> that's kind of one of those, uh, they got to wait for people to pay for the badges. But they they got to pay. Uh, the day before a recording of this episode was National American Beer Day Yay. from the Office of uh, Redundancy. Yeah. But uh, one thing they do Department like... Department of Redundancy. Department. Yeah, they like to... Uh, Gather information. Uh, they love getting metrics. So every time you check into a beer on Untapped, they are paying attention, and they are they are someone is sitting there writing this stuff down. If you like to believe that, uh, someone's sitting there with a bank of monitors, and uh, they're so far behind the times that rather than uh, some algorithm gathering it, there's just some some guy sitting there with a notepad scratching this stuff down. Check. So Check. Um, the top ten American craft breweries of 2018 so far. Number one, I, I'm still kind of floored by this one, Founders Brewing Company, by a great margin, coming in with 1,089,826 check-ins. Founders puts out a lot of stuff. They do, and they've had a lot of uh, what many would consider lackluster things to come out in the past few months. This is just this year, too. So, yeah, like the, what was that, the, uh, the Dankwood? Dankwood was not uh, very well received, and Barrel Runner was just, everyone hated it. <laughs> but they are also selling, you know, their their package, you know, their cans in, like, larger packages now, too. So yeah. maybe, they're, maybe they're hoping for volume, too. Yeah, uh, and a lot of these People are... People showing off their solid gold. Yeah, but Founders does, I mean, for a brewery that size, they're cranking out really good stuff in general. Yeah. So, and you got to think that they've also now this year we've got uh, breakfast out available year round. We've got Backwoods Bastard available year round. So those are going to kind of help uh, push those kinds of numbers up, not just the special releases like uh, Curmudgeon's Better Half, which is just an orgasm in a bottle. But oh, we've also <laughs> it it is real good. Yeah, it's I good. got to, we got to have some recently, right, Casey? We did, and it was quite. Uh, n- Thick. It was. It was. It was viscous. It was syrupy. It's it the good. maple bomb that people wanted CBS to be last year, and everyone was so disappointed. Like, I'm not tasting the maple, and blah blah blah. Well, it, the maple is present in 
curmudgeon's better half. Found the maple. Found yeah. it. Right here. And uh, coming in number two, Stone Brewing with 884,971 check-ins. And I can believe that because Stone, you got to think, they're, I mean, they're global initiative pushing out there. With they've got the uh, brewery and tap room in Germany. What other ones? I know they are they opening one in Russia. I can't remember. I mean, hmm. they're really stretching out there. As I say, they're 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 all over and they're they're churning out product. Yeah, they're just throwing hops at people. I mean, that's just you just open you open something from stone and just hops come shooting out of the bottle and start pelting you in the face. Uh, coming in number three. I don't know if I want to buy stone anymore. <laughs> you just pop open the top, and all of a sudden it's just ah. What happened? I taste lupulin. <laughs> I didn't even touch the glass. <laughs> Number three, we have Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. 835,590 check-ins. I can see that because the scale that they are brewing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they put out a lot of like you know sampler packs. I just had some uh, the other night. We had our D&D game. And my buddy, buddy had, some, uh, had the Sierra Nevada's single hop change oh. thing. Yeah. So it's like all double IPAs or something or whatever the motif of it was, but they had a double IPA with mosaic. Oh, and it was, I want to get, uh, Alaskan has speaking of smash packs, uh, Alaskan has a galaxy smash that they have out right now. It's only in six packs. So I'm just like, ah, (laughs) put it in. (laughs) I just need one. I don't need a sixer of it. But, uh, number four is one that raises questions for me a little bit. Well, I can, I can understand it. But it's a Treehouse Brewing Company with 748,442 check-ins. And they do not Treehouse Brewing Company. So they don't even, you know, when it comes to barrelage coming out of Treehouse, it doesn't compare to everyone else before it. And to the number five who uh, they beat out, Dogfish Head. So they they ranked higher than Dogfish Head for check-ins. But I think what this comes down to is Treehouse is every single beer that comes out of Treehouse is probably getting checked into. Like, there's no way you have a Treehouse beer that you are not checking <laughs> into having <laughs> having had one. It's you got to think of all the people that those make it to, like, every bottle share, every line share, anywhere in the craft beer community. So you'll have one can of Treehouse that's getting, like, 10 to 15 check-ins off of that one can of beer. Yeah, I'm just kind of, like, looking at their side going... I've not seen any of these beers before. Yeah, you won't. Uh, they don't. They don't distribute. You have to go there, and the releases, from what I've heard, are absolutely insane. There's just like every week they're doing two or three releases, and it's always hundreds of people there, and just like they have it down to a science now. I hear, but it's mm. like a sporting event. Like there are ushers outside moving traffic along, and <laughs> it's nuts. But yeah, uh, number five was Dogfish Head, who they beat out, and then coming in after that, they even beat out Boston Beer Company, number six. Yeah, and I think Boston Beer probably suffers under that. You don't check into a Boston Lager. No, exactly. Like, you don't want to show it off. That's yeah, they're that's what they're selling the most of, and no one's really. I mean, what's from Boston Beer? What do you? Any of it, even their seasonals, you're not really checking into a whole lot. The, the like guaranteed check in is going to be if you score Utopias. Or like uh, cosmic mother funk, like those, yeah. those real rare ones. Those are gonna be what you check in with. But coming in uh, behind Boston beer, you had number seven, New Belgium Brewing Company, with six hundred fifty nine thousand six hundred ninety six check ins. Again, I can see that uh, from sheer quantity out there, people are gonna be checking into it. But 
they're not really doing you know the kind of things that people are bringing to line shares and you're getting 20 people checking into one bottle of it the the biggest experiment i can think of from them lately has been that that emperor which uh <laughs> Yeah, they've got a new uh, <laughs> they've got some new fooder series out for uh, some traditional styles. Um, I noticed Liquor Barn had a few of them. Uh, they're nice cage cork bottles. Uh, nice presentation. Mm. I want to try some of those, but they're like fifteen bucks for a twelve ounce bottle. So I'm a little oh, hesitant yeah. to dive in on those. They've uh, yeah, they've got they they do have some stuff, but it's just like I don't feel like they're they're announcing all of their their little experiments as much as some of the other ones, except like Emperor, which was. Yeah. Hey, everybody. You want to drink some weed? <laughs> Whew, dank. Uh, number eight, Bell's Brewery. Uh, 655,642 check-ins. And here's another one that is, I mean, I guess name alone, like notoriety, you would understand them to be there. But again, from the barrelage that they're cranking out, you don't, you kind of question how they're in there. Number nine, Trillium Brewing Company with 547,575 check-ins. But again, same thing as Treehouse. Every can of a trillion beer is probably getting checked into by at least 10 people. I mean, yeah, probably. Now, the one here on the end of this list just makes me go, I wish I could have them. Yeah. Yes, number 10, Firestone Walker Brewing Company at 472,969 check-ins. And, yeah, I wish we could be in the distro for Firestone. Stuff I'll get them to. I'll get them the nine by myself. Just, just distro to Kentucky. <laughs> uh, uh, urge everyone. Uh, we did an entire episode on Firestone Walker, and uh, the, where we discovered, yes, indeed, that Firestone that you are thinking is the Firestone and Firestone Walker. Uh, I will say this: they distribute to uh, 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 Asheville. Yes, yes, they do. So uh, you can come down to Drinktacular and pick up some Firestone Walker to take back home with you. You're just going to see me smuggling out, like, just like, I can't fit this much beer in the cart. Yes, we can. No, no, we're, you, you seem to be mistaken. We're renting a, uh, a cargo van to take down there because we're, we're, we're riding together. We're, we're renting a U-Haul. <laughs> yeah, we're just loading it, loading it up with all the beer. And we're playing eastbound and down the entire time we drive back. Oh, yeah, that's just, that's going to be how this goes. And we're going to be pretending there's an elephant in the back. <laughs> All right, it's enough smoking <sighs> the bandit references. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the topic. Been on that drunk. Seeking bastards. Been on that drunk. Been on that drunk. Been not that drunk. I mean, give it time. The style's not very, not very alcoholic. We'll get there. It'll take a few. Well, we are talking about uh, the Mexican-style lager. Cerveza. Cerveza. Just means beer. But let's talk about this actual style. The term Mexican-style lager could be misleading. Prior to the Spanish conquest, fermented beverages made from corn, agave, and honey were common. Sound like they could be tasty. Uh, And to this day, Mexico Mexico is... <clears throat> Sounds like they could be tasty until you realize that's chicha. Duh! Duh! <laughs> Duh! Exactly. Yeah, th- look, none of those ingredients said other people's saliva. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think the corn was malted? You monster. Ah, oh, the chicha. You can't drink anything from Casey now. He's malting all of his stuff in his mouth. <laughs> I'm a mouth malter. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, uh, to this day, Mexico is home to uh, diverse groups of people who still brew these pre-Hispanic libations in the ancient way. Uh, Mexican farm remembers. <laughs> <laughs> you got you to put the accent on it. Oh, it, it got there by the end. Oh, you mean the other <laughs> accent? No. <laughs> Juan Valdez sang <laughs> Mexican uh, farm remembers. I was going to say, like, it's just going to sound that, like dude. one of the other other mice in a speedy Gonzalez. Yeah, like, you got to go cartoon. for one of the other. He's got to be like stereotypically like drunk and no, 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 we don't. We're not going there. <laughs> However, the first European style brewery in the new world was built by Don Alonso de Herrera of Spain. And I am guessing I got close to Herrera. I'm... Sounds right. <laughs> uh, look, I'm going to apologize now. I don't actually speak very much Spanish, despite taking two semesters in college and two years in high school. You're exactly that's like about me, everyone else. Me with German, uh, replace your Spanish with my with German, and that's that's my entire experience. Where I'm like, I don't know, I can say a couple words. Hmm. I had one year of French and one year of Latin. I can probably I understand those languages better than Spanish. Well. Uh, Anyway, he is first mentioned uh, on August 23rd, 1541, with his brewery opening in 1542 in the city of Nahara, uh, although the brewery didn't last very long. Today, uh, Mexican lager is is extremely popular, especially over the last few years, but it has not always uh, been the same style as it is traversed through history. Originally, the quintessential Mexican lager style came from Vienna. Came over with a Zimmerman note. Hmm. Uh, that's not true. That's no. it's just a funny joke I wanted to throw in there. Well, I say funny. I thought it was good, but <laughs> everyone else went. I don't care about World War One. What today is known as the Vienna Lager has a history mixed with deceit and thievery. As early brewers in the 1930s stole samples of fermenting wort from lager breweries for analysis, but eventually set on the darker, maltier version of a lager beer called the Merzen. Anyone's picturing. Like Mission Impossible style, it's like whoosh, dun, 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 dun. the little like, scooping out some of the wart. Except the music's played with a with a brass band. I like to picture it's an entire like, brass tubas. band coming down behind them, <laughs> dangling also on another rope. Anyway, let's see. Uh, the Meriton style is just meant to be brewed in March uh, and did not get its first start uh, in Munich, as one may think. This beer would be brewed in the early parts of the year and then lagered uh, in caves over the summer. Uh, the Vienna style used new malts that had uh, that was made uh, similar to uh, more modern English-style malts that were lighter in color and created a reddish copper lager that was only slightly bready malt profile. This malt was known. Uh, this malt was kiln with blown hot air instead of roasting. Just sitting there with bellows. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, lager beer style would be referred to as Martin Gerblotnach Wiener Art. I don't. Sure. I don't know. The I don't Wiener know. Art. I probably butchered that. Uh, apparently, that means March brewed. Uh, March beer brewed in the Viennese way. Wiener art is more fun. Sounds so much less exciting. The Wiener art. Wiener art. Uh, What is it, Grandpapa? (laughs) 
Uh, in fact, Munich beers owe their roots, uh, their early roots to Vienna lagers. Uh, sorry, Fest beers own their roots to early Vienna lagers. Uh, the only difference would be substituting the darker Munich malt and actually uh, brewing the beer in Munich, Germany. Uh, overall, Vienna beer uh, beers differ in their flavor profile from Munich lagers pretty starkly. Modern examples of Munich beers are sweeter on the finish and carry less hop presence, as well as being slightly higher in alcohol compared to their Vienna cousins. The Vienna lager uh, was the root of today's Mexican lager, but if you compare a Corona to a Sam Adams Oktoberfest, you can just see how far the beers evolved. That's some divergent... Yeah, that is a vast spectrum that those two uh, occupy. Mm-hmm. Well, the reign of the analoger uh, was quite short-lived in Europe. By the end of World War One, many brewers had moved out of Austria and had begun to travel the world because Austria was screwed. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> many traveling to North America to bring their brewing knowledge and yeast strains with them. <laughs> the history of brewing is as old as Germany itself. Uh, <laughs> it's not, but brewing in most other places, you're probably eventually going to see a German name show up somewhere, at least yep. if you're in the... Look, when I was doing the research on the Coors episode, that's it all comes back. Like, all the major major players in the game right now, like all the big brewers, it's a handful of people that came out of Austria back at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the same hundred years or so uh, in Mexico, Napoleon III invaded after President Juarez refused to keep paying Europeans uh, because, you know, colonialism. Uh, the invasion and subsequent occupation brought about the Second Mexican Empire and installed Maximilian I from the Austrian royal house as a puppet ruler. His reign was short and ultimately ended by execution by Mexican forces, which is pretty much most of Mexican political history. Yeah, they no ruler uh, lasted for a long, a long period of time. Uh, one of them could keep coming back, but he couldn't stay in power very long. What was his name? Uh, that's not super important. It would come to me some point later. Uh, Anyway, uh, the three years he was in power brought an influx of European brewers, though. Uh, one of the most influential was probably Santiago Graf, which sounds more like a uh, more like a crime. I say he sounds like some, a smuggler. Some sort of some sort of con that happened in Santiago. You know, yeah. Oh, the old Santiago Graf. <laughs> yeah. uh, born in Zurich, Switzerland, uh, in uh, eighteen seventy-five, Graf purchased the original Copania Cervecia Toluca y Mexico. That's, again, I apologize to anyone that actually speaks Spanish. A small producer of Cerveza Sencilia, a form of light ale from fellow Swiss Augustin Mardin Zadaran. No. Mardin Zanda. Marenda Zand. Marendezand. Okay. Sorry. The the D's and Z's and all the weird A's popping up. I was like, no, I, I, I can't read this. Uh, and then begin brewing a he began brewing a popular amber ale, which is often cited as the first commercially successful beer brewed in the Southwest. 
The problem with temperature control during wort uh, production and fermentation in Mexico's hot climate forced him to continue brewing ale until opening of an international railroad link with the U.S. enabled him to import the first large ice-producing absorption machine, machines from Germany in 1882. With better equipment, the ability to cool wort and fermenters properly, Graf was able to successfully brew lager in Mexico, and the people rejoiced. <laughs> There were there were uh, parties in the streets for weeks. <laughs> Bombing the streets for a couple of weeks later. Some say some say those parties are still going on. In 1890, only in Cancun. In 1890, <laughs> Graf formed a stock company and erected the first large modern lager brewery in Mexico. Uh, Graf brewed uh, various types of light colored dampers and seemed uninterested in pale beers like the popular Pilsner, Pilsner style. Uh, disappointed in the quality of malts and hops available locally, he imported all of his hops from Europe and most of his malt from the U.S. In addition, he set up his own malting facilities in Mexico using barley imported from the United States. Uh, Graf was able to increase the acidity of his mash by increasing the percentage of dark malts in his recipes, thereby counteracting the high alkalinity uh, of brewing water available in Mexico. With the alkalinity simultaneously mellowing the acidic flavors of the dark malts in the final product, uh, the result was a popular, mellow, darker style of it, Vienna lager that was that has been uh, well, the style of the Vienna lager that had been popular in Europe. Uh, the popularity of Toluca y Meco beers such as that uh, Graf frequently had difficulty filling orders and was forced to seek outside investors to uh, rapidly increase production. Uh, current popular brands of Graf style Viennas include major brands such as Negro Modelo, Noche Buena, and Dos X Amber. Pretty much all the ones that we were looking at when we were having issues finding one, considering eh, we're kind of out of uh, we're out of the uh, cerveza season. At least here in the states. Yeah, at least here in the states. All right, imported malt can be quite an expensive ingredient, so Graf began replacing less expensive and, uh, most importantly, abundant ingredients that could be found locally in Mexico. Corn became a major component to Mexican lagers. The addition gave beers a lighter body, perfect for the hot Mexican days, and also added a touch of sweetness in addition to lightening the overall color. This beer was different enough from its European roots to be called a totally new style, the Mexican lager. Today, while Vienna lagers are no longer as popular in Austria, their Mexican and Central American descendants have become a big hit with craft brewers in the U.S. With balanced malt-forward taste, medium bitterness, and generally low in alcohol. You can really uh, sit down and plow through a six-pack in about, well, what do you say, about two hours? <laughs> I'm going to say, not, not feel nearly as guilty. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Ska Brewing is responsible for introducing many of us to the idea of an American-brewed Mexican-style lager. With its I imagine there's a lot of hats and checkered pants in that brewery. <laughs> with its popular Mexican lager with an O. <sighs> okay, okay. Let's let's start taking bets on what we think that, that picture looks like. Is it is it a lumberjack in a sombrero? That's what I wanted, but no, sadly, it is, uh, it's, it's just like, for some reason, a finish line flag and, uh, a giant chainsaw. Yeah, that's, that's probably fine. And a, a, what looks like a big spruce tree or something. That's, that's less obvious. I'm, I, I appreciate, I appreciate them taking time to think. 
I, I don't. I, wa- I wanted them to just give me what I wanted, and I wanted it to be like a giant Mexican logger. I wanted it to be him in the big flannel, big burly guy. He has he's the he has the mustache, like just a big you wanted a, melding. Um, what's his face? Uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? I don't know. I, don't know I, I have no about. idea where you're going. Play with machete. This. Oh, Danny Trejo. Oh, Danny Trejo. So you wanted him in a lumberjack outfit? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's yeah. You hit that one right, right in the head. It's the brewery's third best-selling beer, despite only being available during the summer. Its origin story is a logical one. Ska's partner uh, was partners with closeted Pacifico, Modelo, and Dos Equis fans, and wanted to create their own version of these thirst-quenching summertime beers to get that crisp. Just picturing them like just somewhere in the quiet. Like, shh, 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 shh. Don't let anyone see us. They're literally in a closet, just splitting Modellos. That's, that's what was going on. <laughs> to get that crisp, snappy flavor, Ska's brewers use a lager yeast strain uh, from a brewery in Mexico City, which they declined to name. So, Is uh, it? Oh, not this. Okay, sorry. From uh, uh, from a brewery in Mexico City. For a minute there, I was like, from Mexico City? Well, it's named Mexico City. We can find <laughs> the city. Although, uh, who we source some of this from, Snopes, is uh, undetermined on the actual origin. One thing is true. A Mexican beer is not the same without a lime. Snopes explains uh, in this way. These days, when you spot a bottle of Corona beer served in a bar, you'll inevitably see see it provided with a wedge of lime stuck into its lip. And when you see someone drinking a Corona, it will be through the immersed lime wedge that has been thrust down into the neck of the bottle. Well, well, when you're dealing with uh, clear bottles, I mean, you got to do something. No, no, yeah, it's fine. It's just saying thrust. (laughs) While that has assuredly become the way of things, the question remains how the state of lime enhancement has become the norm for for this beer. (laughs) We're taking this beer in for for questioning. Why? It's been experimenting with lime-enhancing brews. We're going to see it at GABF. Uh, beers are going to start getting pulled pulled out, and their metals are going to be forced to be returned. for. They're, they've been enhancing. They've been using lime-enhancing products. <laughs> Corona no. is a light lager typically drunk through a wedge of lime inserted into the neck of a bottle. In 1925, Grupo Modelo S.A. de C.V. was founded in Mexico by Pablo Diaz Fernandez, its flagship brew, Corona, became a national brand, and the brewery went on to acquire regional beers like Pacifico, Victoria, and Leon. Uh, the beer was first exported in the late 1970s and quickly caught on in the U.S. By 1986, Corona ranked second in the U.S. in imported beers. Uh, Heineken led the way in that one. And by 1999, was the best-selling import and the 10th best-selling overall. Yeah, I mean, is it weird that when I think of Corona, it's like, yeah, no, it's it's kind of ubiquitous as a import. Oh yeah, uh, if if I recall, like at nineteen ninety nine, so two thousand was coming up. That was I was coming into high school. There's a lot of underage drinking when you're coming into high school, and you're not drinking the best things. And a lot of things that I had always seen floated around was Corona. <laughs> like that was what a lot of people were drinking. Well, a Corona served uh, in the U.S. is always uh, accorded a wedge of lime seated in the rim of the bottle. It's generally left to the imbiber to shove the wedge down into the brew. Yeah, you don't want to 
you don't want the bartender's fingers just jamming down into your drink. You don't you don't want to be forcing insertion on uh, on the general public. You know, we could have not worded it like that. Oh, he has to. <laughs> in Mexico, that same bottle of beer would likely be served uh, that way only in a bar frequented by Americans. Mexicans who drink Corona tend to scoff at the idea that the beverage needs a lime, regarding the fruit's addition as a gimmick for los turistas. Whenever the yeah, customs that's what they call them, turistas. <laughs> Whatever the customs origin, uh, it does not appear it started in Mexico with the local population of suds lovers. Yeah, when I was down there, uh, the locals weren't really doing it that much. But again, I was at a resort with a uh, all-inclusive bar, so didn't didn't really care how they were giving them to me because they were free and they were just shoving them across the counter as quick as I'd ask for them. Put the line in the beer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. <clears throat> so there's no clear answer as to why lime wedges have become the the norm for Coronas in the United States. But a number of theories do exist out there. Um, So first off, unlike almost every other beer in the U.S. market, Corona is bottled in clear glass rather than brown or green. Because they they hate freshness. Yep. Those in the know know to recognize that light is the enemy of the brew, turning beverages exposed to it skunky. The lime, therefore, could mask the altered taste, the resultant from uh, Corona's having been exposed to light. Due to its packaging, yeah, you can check out that episode we did where uh, we treated we treated some beers very poorly, and uh, there was one that was just left left in the sun for a, a very long time, and it was oh. awful. It it smelled <laughs> it it smelled like a skunk had sprayed when we popped and, those, and it was in a brown bottle. Yeah, imagine clear. So, yeah, yep. especially in those clear glass boxes they put them in, and the clear glass trucks <laughs> they ship them in. <laughs> so uh theory number two is corona is a mild tasting beverage with the inserted lime added it's only discernible note of flavor um <laughs> I'll, I'll go with provision- that one <laughs> that needs to taste like something just put a lime in here next uh there was a provision of the, the lime that uh when it it was actually used because in in the time when it started Metal caps were used, and they would leave circles of rusts on the rim of beer bottles. And the fruit slices were used to simply just wipe away the rust stains before the beer drinker would uh, be putting their lips to it. Um, then, then they realized they just kept shoving the, the lime down on the bottle, and that didn't help anything. <laughs> One way or the other, you get there. Just drinking the rust now. Uh, another theory is that lime or lemon is said to work to keep flies away. And in an expansion of that theory, prior to the lime slice, fly spray used to combat the flying hordes adversely affected the taste of the beer. So let's, uh, let's use natural limes to, to keep the flies away. <laughs> Uh, another theory was that some bright spark who works for the brewery came up with the idea of festooning bottles of Corona with wedges of lime, both in an effort to create a more visually enticing image and to provide what might otherwise be regarded as a somewhat uh, inspire, uninspired beer with a hint of cachet, uh, possibly even an intriguing, if unstated, backstory. People like both ritual and misery, after Yes, all, I do. And the lime <laughs> provides both. Another theory is that on a bet with a colleague about whether a single person could start a nationwide trend, a bartender came up with the notion of shoving limes into Coronas. It's like my idea of convincing everyone that uh, 
uh, when Abraham Lincoln was shot, they shouted, is there a doctor in the house? And that's how that got started. Yeah. Um, so Snopes asked Corona and they have not yet replied, but they guess that uh, the their money would be on a clever marketing ploy explanation. Um, there's something oddly attractive and alluring about a just open bottle of Corona with a lime wedge perched on its tip. And there that isn't there when the bottle is presenting lacking its fruit garnish. Possibly they're, the- they're- they're kind of right, honestly. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like when I see a Corona with a lime, I'm like, like that does look kind of okay. That might be refreshing. Yep. <laughs> but if without it, I'm just like, get this garbage out of here. No, I can't drink Corona without a lime, which means a lot of times when I go into a gas station, I won't buy Corona because they don't sell limes there. <laughs> yeah. So you need, a, you need a cooler in your car with limes at all time. <laughs> I Wait, try to keep no, limes at the I would house, do it. but I understand where you're going there. Like it's like, wait, no, don't do that, because that leads to drunk driving. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. So it possibly could be the color combination of the golden beer, the green lime, uh, sorry, the green lime, the blue, white, and gold label. They all kind of work well together to entice the eye and thus the customer. And then there's the matter of participating in a ritual, and one for which a reason for doing so remains so mysterious. We humans are suckers for that. And any halfway potable beer promoted by such marketing scheme could do quite well for itself on the secret knowledge factor alone. There's that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. There's that episode of Mad Men where they talk about uh, popsicles as a ritual where, like, you know, the mother breaks them apart to give them to the kids and they have this, like, divine Mary or Jesus style looking mother, like, breaking apart two things, holding her hands out as she gives one to each child and each side of her. And someone goes, it seems a bit Catholic. And they look, I go, I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> so like that, that idea of ritual, I guess, as a marketing ploy to, you know, yeah. could, you know, could make sense. Absolutely. Um, Parade magazine from January of 2009 says this. Some people believe that squeezing lime and Corona beer is the time-honored Mexican custom that came to enhance the beer's taste. Others maintain that the ritual derives from an ancient Mesoamerican practice designed to combat germs, while the lime's acidity destroys bacteria. The truth, the corona and lime ritual dates back only to about 1981, when reportedly on a bet with his buddy, a bartender popped a lime wedge into the neck of a corona to see if he could start a trend. This simple act which caught on like wildfire, is generally credited with helping Corona overtake Heineken as the best-selling imported beer in the, uh, the U.S. market. Um, so, uh, to be perfectly honest, we're not sure, but there's a couple different re- a couple different things out there that um, that are quoted, and the book Biology, which was published in 2008, and where that that passage basically gets pulled from, uh, reprinted. Um, has some pretty interesting appeal um, and probably could be a, a good good source of the start of that kind of rumor. I mean, maybe, but at this point, like, you know, you, you weird customs pop up all over the place and then they just they just are because that's how we do it. <laughs> it's just how we've always done it. You know, you don't have that. Uh, although, if it is the one bartender, I like to imagine he gave a different story every time they asked, "What? Why did you put a lime in here?" <laughs> oh, you see, the concept of wine of lime in your beer goes back to ancient Mesoamerican practices. <laughs> so, 
let's talk a little bit about the detriment of Lyme in the beer with Mexican beer disease. Oh. Yes. A what, have I been putting in, what have I been putting inside me? <laughs> Luckily, it's dark on the inside. Is, is that uh, here. Mexican beer disease? Is that basically Montezuma's revenge? No. This is photophyto, no, phytophotodermatitis. That sounds like an STD. So, it does. So it sounds like it has something to do with light and my skin. Hmm. Is it beer herpes? Close enough. In 2010, it did get the coolest name ever, Mexican beer dermatitis. Phytodermatitis happens when lime juice in the skin or on the skin meets major sun exposure. It can turn hands and arms splotchy red or brown, swell, and cause pain lasting for weeks or months. Think bartenders and vacationers mixing mojitos at beach bars without washing their hands afterward. Mm. But in a 2010 issue of Archives of Dermatology, Dr. Scott L. Flugman warns that some the, the way some partiers drink Mexican beer with the lime juice may be responsible for the condition's spread from the usual spots to more unexpected places like chests and bellies uh, that's so... not beer's fault that's tequila <laughs> <laughs> no no it, it is it's it's the spring break disease that's yeah, basically but... what this is it, i would say it's spring break herpes but herpes is spring, break, spring her- break herpes, herpes. So Flugman's main concern here is the spray of the lime. When the beer bottle is inverted, the carbonation in the beer frequently causes a mixture of beer and lime juice to spray from the bottle, despite the drinker's attempts to still, sorry, seal the bottle mouth with the thumb. This common drinking practice may result in lime juice being sprayed over a wide area of the skin, especially in a patient who is shirtless by the beach or the pool. The problem is Mexican beer dermatitis could be mistaken for other things like child abuse or jellyfish stings. <laughs> Why are these children getting Mexican beer on them? I swear, baby, it's a jellyfish sting. It stung <laughs> you around your butthole. I mean, I was skinny dipping. I'm sorry. What? Why are you butt chugging? Because that's how you do it at spring break. You got to have you got a butt chug on the beach at noon. And you got to have at least two gentlemen to hold you in the handstand and pull you at full spread eagle at noon on the beach. And then someone tips that bottle with the lime all the way. No, no, am I the only one? I don't I'm understand why picture- you need the lime. <laughs> I'm just picturing sunburn on my scrotum, and I don't want it. Look, you just need enough to get that special tan in there. And I'm telling you, the lime is necessary at all times. doesn't matter which orifice you're taking it uh, in. I don't want to poop a whole lime. Scott Blogger, Scott Hensley, points out, we've heard about this disease before. Back in 1986, they called it Club Med Dermatitis. It's Club Philip Med Herpes. <laughs> Philip Scheinfeld, an associate professor of dermatology at the University of South Florida, tells the Orlando Sentinel, it's not just limes but other citrus root twos that can cause the skin reaction. Even proper ladies of a bygone era who use their bergamot perfumes got phytophotodermatitis. So, so it's citrus herpes, essentially. You can get it from grapefruiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, imagine that. Nudist grapefruiting causes all <laughs> kinds of problems. So in my trips abroad, um, I did actually come upon, I, I did not go to it, but I passed by a nudist colony in Canada. It um, seems cold. Yeah, yeah, it seems like like eight months out of the year, you would not be able to uh, utilize the facilities. Or everyone is just very used to shrinkage. Maybe. Uh, Bear Oaks, though, in uh, right around Toronto area. How is that spelled? 
B A R E. I was really hoping for yeah. it's just for the it's, other one because it would have made more sense of how they could survive. It's a bunch of big hairy men walking around in the nude, just enjoying enjoying life and the brisk the brisk autumn days, wasting whole chickens as they try to eat them, <laughs> just ripping them in half with their big strong hands and rubbing grease all in their <laughs> chest hair. Oh, getting a little aroused. It's actually making me uh, puke a little bit. Mm. I'm hungry. So moving on to not that at all. Uh, (laughs) Moving far away from that. Yes. I want a bear. (laughs) Uh, The the other thing we were talking about in this episode, um, aside from the Mexican lager, but it does have it does relate uh, food and drink wise, and and the reason why we're talking about Mexican lager in October. Um, Mm. This is also Dia de los Muertos. Um, so the day of the dead, or just Dia de Muertos. Is, I was going to say, the day of the Muertos. <laughs> uh, yeah, in Spanish it's just Dia de, or Dia de Muertos, yeah. El Nino is Spanish for the, the Nino. Nino. <laughs> um, I, 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 look, Dia de Muertos does not sound as cool as Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, no, it doesn't at all. Uh, but so it's a Mexican holiday celebrated throughout Mexico, in particular the central and south regions and by people of Mexican heritage elsewhere. The multi-day holiday focuses on gathering of family and friends to pray for and remember friends and family who have died, and help support their spiritual journey. In 2008, the tradition was inscribed in the representative list of the intangible cultural heritage of humanity by UNESCO. Uh, It's particularly celebrated in Mexico, where the day is a public holiday, Prior to Spanish colonization in the 16th century, the celebration took place at the beginning of summer. Gradually, it was associated with October 31st, November 1st, and November 2nd to coincide with the Western Christianity of All Hallowtide or All Hall- All Saints Day, All S- All or sorry, All Saints Eve, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day. Uh, traditions connected with the <laughs> the most colonial thing I can think of. Oh, you have a holiday. <laughs> yeah. You're mixing it to ours. Why? We don't want to have to remember too many. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> traditions connected with the holiday, including uh, include building private altars called ofrendas, honoring the deceased using calaveras, Aztec marigolds, and the favorite foods and beverages of the departed, and visiting the graves with these gifts. Um, visitors also leave possessions of the deceased at the graves. Scholars trace the origins of the modern Mexico Mexican holiday to indigenous observances dating back hundreds of years and to an Aztec festival dedicated to the goddess Mictacuatl. Uh, the holiday has spread throughout the world, being absorbed into other deep traditions in honor of the dead. It has become a national symbol and as such is taught for educational purposes in the nation's schools. Many families celebrate a traditional All Saints Day associated with the Catholic Church. Originally, Day of the Dead, as such, was not celebrated in northern Mexico, where it was unknown until the 20th century, because its indigenous people had different traditions. The people I was of- wondering, as you were talking about this, if that was that had something to do with, like, you know, Aztec roots and the other... Like the more southern... Other, yeah. other empire, tribe, tribal, however we would define them. Right, right. Yeah, yeah and yeah. That's, that's probably why it started more south than anything else. I just can't remember... Who was the one in the north? Yeah, I don't remember either. In the north? Uh, yeah, North Mexico. Uh, northern Mexico would have... Would that have been... 
You had mines in the Yucatan. Hmm. Um, yeah. But north. It, was it Olmex? Olmex? I think it was that's Olmex. Was, yeah, okay. that's the one I was thinking it might be, and I just couldn't remember so, where they were. Yeah, it seems like they were more um, uh, of the church at that point. Uh, the people in the church rejected it as a day related to syncretizing pagan elements with Catholic Christianity. They held the traditional All Saints Day in the same way as other Christians in the world. There was limited Mesoamerican influence in this region and relatively few indigenous inhabitants from the regions of southern Mexico where the holiday was celebrated. Toltec, by the way. Toltec, yes. Ah, okay. Olmec was further south as well. I was so. looking at all the maps I just found showed Olmec are uh, basically bridge the gap from Toltec into Mayan. Gotcha. Yeah, I was trying to find it. I was trying to find a good map online. And finally, I just went, you know, I'm just going to Wikipedia. I'm going to find pre-Columbian <laughs> Mexico and figure right. this out. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so in the early 21st century in northern Mexico, Dia de Muertos is observed because the Mexican government made it a national holiday based on educational poli- policies from the 1960s. You're it going ha- to enjoy this day. <laughs> You're going to take the day off. Indeed. Uh, it has introduced this holiday as a unifying national tradition based on indigenous traditions. So the Mexican Day of the Dead celebration is similar to other societies' observances of a time to honor the dead. The Spanish tradition, for instance, includes festivals and parades, as well as gatherings of families at cemeteries to pray for their deceased loved ones at the end of the day. During... Parade sounds like a, uh, a Louisiana <laughs> tradition. It, it all does sound very like the same, like kind of Creole. That's is it. That said, there's a there's a mix of cultures in that area of Spanish, of yeah, French, definitely, and English speakers, and that's how you get Creole. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, during Day of the Dead festivities, food is both eaten by living people and given to the spirits uh, of their departed ancestors as ofrendas or offerings. Tamales are one of the most common dishes prepared. Mm. <laughs> and then uh, Pan de Muerto and Calaveras are associated specifically with Day of the Dead. Pan de Muerto is a type of sweet roll shaped like a bun, topped with sugar, and often decorated with bone-shaped phalanges pieces. Is it fried? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's just baked. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's Because if it was fried, I... I... Look, I still probably would eat it, but if it was fried, I'd be like, yeah. And then it's basically churros. I was going to say, we just watched a whole <laughs> the Great episode. British Bake Off episode yeah. on churros. Oh, they just did a whole episode on churros, and I was just like, my mouth was watering the whole time. And <laughs> they just... they have a Canadian version of that show? Yeah, I heard that. but I... It, was on, it was on television up there, so. I don't think it would be as fun. The, the, per- the perfectly fine Canadian Bake Off? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, like, it, they have an American one, too, and I'm just like. But I need to hear the British accents and the Scottish people who are on there and the Irish people and the people from Yorkshire yeah. and the an American version of that. All I can think of is Guy Fieri. Gets yeah, involved. I was going to say it's just yeah. Guy Fieri or Paula Dean or you know like I just can't do it. Guys, what if we put Paula Dean and Guy Fieri into a death match? Oh God, the frosted tips would win. I would vote for Guy Fieri at that point. Like everybody's frosted tips win. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay. Anyway, the nineties would win. <laughs> Uh, calaveras, or sugar skulls, display colorful designs to represent the vitality and individual personality of the departed. So that, that's pretty much, the calaveras are like the thing for Day of the Dead. Um, Which James Bond movie has Day of the Dead in it? Is um, it one of the more recent ones? It's, um, yeah. Spectre? It was, 
Yeah, that's it. Because hmm. there's an opening Spectre. in there. Yeah, and... that's the opening is this big uh, big chase that they do through, supposedly in Mexico City, through the Day of the Dead Parade. And that was completely staged, and they made the floats and giant marionette puppets for the movie. Then the city bought all the floats and puppets, <laughs> like all that stuff, and they use it every year for the Day of the Dead Parade now. I mean, I why like wouldn't you? Going, Guys, those are much better than ours. Can think we can get them to let them buy those? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. They're like, no, can we just buy the props when you guys are done? <laughs> I'm sure that was actually part of They're like, uh, how about you don't charge us X amount? We'll just give them to you. Yeah, yeah that's, that's probably true. I mean, why, why not? Um, in addition to food, drink is also important. To the tradition of Day of the Dead. Historically, the main alcoholic drink was pulque, while uh, today families will commonly drink the favorite beverage of their deceased ancestors. So it's official. Okay. When I when I die, uh, before all of you, because it, it will happen, my genetic <laughs> my genetic bets are hedged. So Look, you... I'm just not allowed to die before you, like I've been told. <laughs> but uh, you all uh, have to get a keg of KBS... And you, you, you pour one out for your homie, which is essentially half the keg, into my grave. <laughs> wow. Just, all I'm thinking of, like, okay, real quick, I'm trying to remember, what, what, what is pulque? I, I've heard the term. Yeah, I gotta look it up, too. <laughs> How is, it's, uh, I'm sure dogfish. it's a corn and, drink again. I, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, the, the Google card thing that comes up is a Mexican alcoholic drink made by fermenting sap from the maguey. Which is now another separate. They thing do I have to it look from. Up. They do it so from. It's, uh, it's pre tequila. An agave plant. Yes. Oh. Yeah. oh. So they ferment oh. the sap of an agave not, plant. Not Gizmo. <laughs> no. No, not Gizmo. As I thought for a minute, I was like, Magui. <laughs> I uh, was so confused while I was in Mount Sterling flipping through the channels. I stopped on a channel because I saw Gremlins was on. I was like, oh, well, this is great. It's Halloween. It was CMT. This Why is... is CMT showing <laughs> gremlins? Because they need programming because no one does music videos anymore. Because mm. so they're like, they... I don't know. We can't show Chris Stapleton on repeat for 24 hours a day. Let's show, <laughs> Let's just show gremlins. That is weird. Look, it would make more sense if it was something like Dukes of Hazard reruns or, <laughs> yeah. you know, Smokey and the Bandit or... I don't know, something else. But yeah, Gremlins is an odd choice. So, uh, <laughs> other drinks associated with the holiday are atole and champorado, warm, thick, non-alcoholic masa drinks. I was going to say, yes, yes, oh. <laughs> uh, Jamaican iced tea is a popular herbal tea made of the flowers and leaves of the Jamaican hibiscus plant. Known as Flor de Jamaica in Mexico. Now, when you say Isn't that, just a like the Jamaican hibiscus plant. Now, when you say herbal tea, <laughs> what what are we talking about? This is what it's it's saying. It is. It's hibiscus. Is um is it hibiscus or is it just a polite way to refer to pot? <laughs> I mean, it could be a mix of both. Are we just uh, drinking bong water? Is that what's going on? It's served cold and very sweet with lots of ice. The ruby red beverage is called hibiscus tea in English-speaking countries and called agua de Jamaica, uh, water of Jamaica in Spanish. Hmm. Um, I don't, it sounds intriguing to me, but but yeah, so that's some, some of the drinks associated sounds, with it. Sounds like it would clear up my glaucoma. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, all right, well... 
we could talk a little more about uh, about Mexican style lagers and some of that and uh, what we're drinking. Drink with me, friend. Before we get into what we're drinking, there is something that we were supposed to be drinking, <laughs> but but a story emerged instead of our glasses filled with this this nice beverage. Casey, what happened to the to the cerveza you were making? Yeah, so well, of course we were going to be doing. I brewed a, a Mexican lager. Everything tasted great, so I put in a keg last week and um, we before last actually was getting ready to um, carve it up and bring it out. It was it got in the keg late, so it didn't have you know. By the time I was getting ready to leave, it wasn't ready to go out to you guys. So um, I had put it in the fridge or put it in the kegerator with the CO2 on it, let it get kegged up really, really nicely and have good, good carbonation. And when I got back, uh, I go to get it out of the, the fridge and it is frozen solid. <laughs> <laughs> so how, there's how many gallons, five gallons, Oh, a five gallon solid. chunk because my kegerator, I'd, plugged it in after moving it and everything and it was uh, you know i figured i needed to get this carved up quickly so i turned it down lower and thought you know this is beer it's got alcohol in it it's not going to freeze in a refrigerator when i right. turn it down no no it was so well sealed and so used to being put in a garage that you've got being you've got those... inside the house it just went oh i could be efficient now <laughs> you got that you got that pressure in there that's that's throwing it off too and so yeah, the um, the the I, I had it on pressure. I had it up really high, like thirty psi, trying to force carve it. But um, what I did was uh, the way I really found this out was I lifted at the top. There's a valve to release the pressure, and I pulled it open, and you could hear some of the pressure coming out. But then whenever I closed it, the pressure fell, and this block of ice inside the keg fell back down to the bottom. So it. <laughs> Thudded and like shook the house because of it. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, it's like fifty pounds or whatever. I don't know, probably forty-five pounds. Oh, lifting God. up three, four inches probably, and then dropping it right straight back down. <laughs> so yeah, um, once it thaws, I haven't had the keg grater on for the past two days. So once it thaws uh, completely, uh, it'll be probably pretty good because it has been lagered crazily well. Um, it might even clear up a little better with all that freezing action going on. I don't know. Mexican ice bock, essentially. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I could go and pour off what's on it right now and probably have a 14, 15% alcohol <laughs> beer. I've got the name. You've got the name for, for this new beer, Casey. All right. Let's hear it. It is, uh, give me just a second. Hielo natural. <laughs> and translated, that means? Natural ice. <laughs> I like it. Oh. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> For sure. Oh, Lord. I mean, while disappointing, it did mean we had to go out and, and find Mexican loggers. So we had to source our own. So I grabbed something that like I I have been seeing on the shelves for a while now. Uh from a local brewery, West Six Brewery. And it's called Cerveza meaning beer, <laughs> but it's their Mexican lager. It's at a 4.6% uh, ABV. It's got 
some amount of IBUs. We're not sure. Nothing I could find mentioned how much how how bitter this was supposed to be. Uh, and it has a beer advocate score of three point three one out of five. Middle of the road. Yeah. Uh, the dis- uh, and you know I don't expect beer advocate to rate very highly for a Mexican lager. They they <laughs> tend to they tend to reward extremes. Yeah. So. The brewery description is in the style of a Mexican lager. West Six Cerveza is a is a is crisp with a pleasant cracker like malt character with notes of corn and low amounts of hop to create a quenching and sessionable lager. Crack a West Six Cerveza and add uh, add a slice of lime to a freshly poured pint. This uh, or add a slice of lime to a freshly poured uh, pint. This brew is satisfying and approachable to all. And I'll I'll give them that. It's it's very easy drinking. Uh, it's it's lawnmower beer kind of. Mm-hmm. It's it's not very alcoholic. It's not uh, not got a whole lot of crazy flavor. Uh, I get some corn. I'm not getting a lot of of cracker. I'm trying another sip just to see. Yeah, no, I'm mostly getting getting like some corn and maybe just a hint of of hop bitterness, but. Uh, it's still it's it's pretty solid. You can, you know, drink it all day and not really have too much of a problem. Chris, what about you? All right. Well, I was able to dig up. Uh, I initially thought of uh, trying to find the West Six Cerveza because it seems to always be on shelves. Doesn't matter the time of year, you can always find it. But, it's listed as a as a seasonal beer for them, but I feel like I can always find it. Yeah. But I figured that might be the route you were going, so I decided to dig in elsewhere, and I was able to come up with Numero Uno from Flying Dog, uh, then Agave Cerveza, coming in at 4.9%. I was able to find the IBUs on this one, coming in at 20, so low, like some hops came near it. Uh, Beer Advocate score of 3.67 out of 5, so same as the West Six Cerveza, kind of middle of the road, not... uh, the people of Beer Advocate not really rewarding this one very much. Uh, brewery's description, numero uno, uh, is to note that this was, uh, they haven't said a thing about this beer since it officially released. Numero <laughs> uno cerveza uh, are just released, summer seasonal, that begs to warm temps and long nights. Originally released as agave cerveza in the summer of 2014 as part of our brew house rarities program. It's the artisanal answer to the easy drinking south of the border slammers. The younger versions of ourselves new and loved. Flaked maize makes up one-third of the malt bill and highlights the distinctive corn and cracker flavor traditionally found in Mexican lagers. Agave is added at the end of the boil and the lime peel post-fermentation to impart a distinct zesty character and crisp, clean finish. Yeah, it is really crackery and there's just that nice lime bite in there. It's... It is everything that they set out to make, so you can drink it without having to cut your own limes and shove one down in there. You took all my crackers. They're in your <laughs> bottle. Yeah, yeah, That's. I guess that's what happened. They took it all, but that flaked maize, I guess, is probably one of those difference makers there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was surprisingly for once drinking to style for this episode and the next one. It's trying to make up for lost time. It was a twofer. There you go. And then on my side, I, of course, do not have a Mexican lager. Well, you do, but it's... I do, I do. It's undrinkable at this point. You could lick Uh, it. So I I did make a uh, mixed drink of sorts using um, the 
Dios de las Mortes or Dia de las Mortes uh, uh, kind of thought process. So this one has two ounces tequila and yejo, and I use the uh, the tequila we really kind of fell in love with from um, our tequila episode, the uh, Espelon. Yeah. Espelon, yeah, the the bourbon barrel aged añejo. So oh yeah, yeah. Two ounces of lemonade. I use simply lemonade. Uh, two ounces of apple juice. Two dashes of mole bitters, a pinch of cinnamon ground up, and shake it all over ice served up in a frozen uh, mar- uh, martini glass. That sounds delightful. It was. Yeah, no, I, I was I was wondering. I was like, oh, hmm. Do you would you want to use like a like a cinnamon bitters, or would you want to use just like a? Uh, yeah, when you were saying apple juice, but then it was like, oh, oh, never mind. Just just yeah. toss them on there. You're good. Yeah, I think the mole is based on. Um, I think it's got some chili pepper. Um, it's got chocolate in it. Um, I guess it doesn't have cinnamon in it. I was thinking it did, but it, oh yeah, it's got some cinnamon in it too. So there's a little bit of hint of cinnamon in that, but it really bumps up that apple pie yeah. spice. It sounds delicious. Yeah. Mole, so hot. Yeah, and it may be even better if you do use the the cinnamon. Um, instead of cinnamon, use apple pie spice in there or pumpkin spice. Maybe. That could or amp it up just maybe a little bit Maybe allspice or something. Yeah, and it may be worth it to, instead of doing straight tequila, soak your tequila with some of the spices, the whole spices, for a day or so um, before you use it mm-hmm. in the drink. So there you go. All right. right. I think that's all that we've got for today. So you can go ahead and subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Find out what we're doing next and what the next episode is going to be. You can also follow us at haveadrinkshow on Twitter, uh, all the social medias, and twitch.tv. Uh, don't forget, you can ask, uh, tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. You can use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also use the feedback page on the website. Uh, write random messages to us on whichever wall, you know, whatever open wall you have in your city. Maybe we'll come across it one day and find it. Yeah. Just, just start it's writing. It's not going to be the fastest way for us to get it. No, no but no. you can start writing random messages on uh, truck stop bathrooms. You never know. We get around for a good time. Listen to have a drink show. <laughs> Let's make that <laughs> all joking fun aside guys. I'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly. Yes. Then check us out next Saturday for the next live episode. And of course, remember to check out patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>